Struggling to communicate with your co-parent? That's why Peaceful Co-Parenting Messenger was created. It's a communication tool for all co-parents, but especially those who are in high-conflict situations. I always tell co-parents who ask, sign up for Peaceful Co-Parenting Messenger as early as possible in your separation and divorce process, because you never know when you're going to need a more robust communication tool that allows you to set boundaries on the communication you have with your co-parent. Are you getting messages that look like war and peace? It's not a text message. It's the length of a novel. Set the brief chat limitation in the app and keep those messages short and to the point. It's about the kids, right? Keep the focus there. You can also limit the number of messages you receive in a day and other nice a la carte features meant to bring sanity to your life. You deserve that and your kids do too. Peaceful co-parenting messenger in the Apple App Store and soon in the Google Play Store. Go to PeacefulParentApp.com for more information. This week on Peaceful Co-Parenting Podcast. Most people can't afford to have an attorney, and that's just the reality. For the people who can afford an attorney and they want me to help them, I will help them. People can do this. People do it all the time on their own without attorneys. So you're going to be afraid, but you can do it and just do it anyway and take little bites out of it. You know, every day, do some studying, do some research, work on your case. And those little bite-sized pieces cumulatively will add up to a lot of confidence. So just, you know, I want people to know you can do this. Welcome to Peaceful Co-Parenting Podcast, where we discuss strategies and tips to improve your co-parenting situation, especially if it's high conflict. I'm Bianca Ballo, co-parent, mother, and entrepreneur, creator of Peaceful Co-Parenting Messenger app, and believer in turning challenging situations into something positive. This week, we're talking about the best interests of the child factor inside the courtroom and outside as well. I think we can all agree that our children are one of the most important factors when it comes to our situation with our co-parent. Of course, taking good care of ourselves is super important as well, but I believe we make major co-parenting decisions based on what we think is in our child's best interest. So today we're taking a microscope to look closer at this issue. Let me introduce our guest, Wendy Hernandez. She's a Phoenix family law attorney, divorce coach, founder of the Hernandez family law firm, and creator of Command the Courtroom. She's tried over a thousand cases during her 25 years as a litigator. Wendy is a courtroom warrior who has tackled every type of family law matter, from divorce to child custody and everything in between. Wendy, it's great to have you with me today. How are you? I'm awesome. Thank you so much, Bianca, for having me here. I love talking about the best interests of the children, so it's a perfect topic for today. Thanks. How's it going in Phoenix? Oh, you know what? It's crazy in Phoenix because it's raining, and we rarely get rain. Typically, this is the time of year that people come to Phoenix, and they play golf, and we all say, this is why we live in Phoenix, which is true, but it's raining, and I'm enjoying it because I just, you know, I feel like I can cuddle up. I have a warm sweater on and, you know, put on a scarf later and run around in my slippers, so it's awesome today. Wonderful. So what else would you like to add about yourself so that we can get to know you a little better? One of my passion projects is Command the Courtroom in my YouTube channel, and I started that channel you know, maybe five, six, seven years ago. And I started it as a reaction to what I was seeing go on in the courtroom. I'm a family law attorney. I represent people 
but oftentimes I was going into the courtroom and on the other side of the room was a person who was representing him or herself. And of course I did the best job that I could for my clients. I zealously represented the client. I'd often see the person who was representing him or herself crash and burn, freeze up, be terrified, just get paralyzed by fear, not be able to speak, ask questions, admit evidence. And it really made me sad because although I was representing the client, you know, there were times that I thought this other side of the story might add something to what the judge needed to hear to make the best decision for the children, but that wasn't getting added because the other side just didn't know what to do. So I thought I'm going to start this little channel and record little tidbits of advice. And I, I didn't really have some big goal, you know, to grow it to a million subscribers. I just wanted to help. Sure. My goal is to help people, whether they have attorneys or don't have attorneys, to understand the family law process, the rules, how you conduct yourself in court. Okay. That's my passion. And in addition to running a full-time practice. So that's a little bit about me and what fires me up. Yes. What is your passion? So why did you become a family law attorney in the first place? Well, you know, that's a little bit of an interesting story. And so I actually started out doing criminal law. I was a prosecutor for a few years and I couldn't pay my bills because the pay was so low and my parents were helping me. So at some point, and I don't know how, at 29 years old, I decided I can do better on my own. So I hung out my own shingle and I started representing criminal defendants because what I knew was criminal defense work. But what I found was many of my clients had questions and needed help when it came to their family situations. You know, they were having child support issues. They were going through divorces. They had paternity issues. So in addition to helping my criminal clients with their cases, I was helping them with their family law stuff. And I found that I loved doing the family law work more than the criminal. So eventually I evolved into where I am now, where I do hundred percent of family law. Although I do have some knowledge of criminal law and that does help in situations where you have domestic violence, orders of protection, assault charges, things like that. Okay. So interesting. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. So how often does the best interest of the child come up in divorce and child custody cases? Every single case, you know, that is the standard that you always have to keep in mind as you're going through a divorce case or a child custody case, the judge is going to look at what is in the best interest of the child or the children. So it's something that's present in every case. And in at least the United States, every single state has a set of statutes that address the best interest factors that are looked at by the judge in that state. So in Arizona, there's it's uh, Arizona Revised Statute 25-403, and there's a list of, I don't know, eight, nine, or 10 factors. There are similar factors for every other state. They may or may not include the same factors that Arizona has. But these are the things that the judge will consider in making a decision about what custody and parenting time arrangements are best for the children. So parents should always be thinking about this as they go through their cases. Okay. So you said that they're pretty similar across to different states. Yes, they're very similar. I can't say that they're exact. I did create a, a checklist a few years ago called the best interest checklist where I went through and I looked at all the factors for every state and I put them all on one checklist. So somebody could take a look at that checklist and 
figure out, hmm, these apply or don't apply. I need to address these or not. So how can people get their hands on that checklist? So very easy. It's a free checklist. Go to commandthecourtroom.com and you'll see a link where you can download the free checklist. It will be emailed. So it's quite extensive. I'm sure this list is. Is it, is it difficult to go through? And can you give us some examples of what's on the list? Sure. You know, so the list is pretty extensive. I want it to be comprehensive. You know, I want to add, if there's a factor on the list that's not necessarily a factor that applies in your state, say you're in Michigan, you know, it doesn't hurt to bring that factor to the attention of the judge because really the judge should be looking at the list that applies to the state and any other relevant factors. Mm -hmm. And I think in Arizona, there's actually a catch-all to the statute, which says the court can consider any relevant factors. So some examples of the factors in Arizona, you know, just a couple of them would be, what is the relationship of the children like with other significant people in his or her life, not including the parents? So for example, you know, what's the child's relationship like with siblings, stepbrothers and stepsisters, a stepparent, grandparent? That's one factor. Another factor is what is the physical and emotional health of each of the parties involved? Those are certainly relevant things. If somebody has some sort of mental health issue or a substance abuse issue, um, if a child has a learning disability, the court needs to know that because in that case, you know, there's usually special considerations that need to be taken. In the case of domestic violence, a court may need to put protections in place to protect the children or protect the spouse who's been abused. So that's another example of a factor, a huge factor that comes up often is which parent is the parent that's more likely to allow frequent and meaningful and continuing contact with the other parent. So you get some situations where a parent is denying the other one time or withholding the children or, you know, say there's a funeral to go to and the parent says, no, you know, it's not your time and you can't go even though it's grandma's funeral. The court will look at these things and making decisions about which parent should have sole custody or decision-making authority. So those are just a few of the examples, Bianca. And I just, there's a lot of them. Right. There's a lot of them. Yeah. Some of them are difficult. Like you said, the emotional health, like that's a tough one to prove. Can we talk a little bit about what you bring to court to address the best interests, right? Because you have to prove certain things. Yes, absolutely. So in the courtroom, everything's governed by what you can prove. And people think that testimony is not evidence. Testimony absolutely is evidence. Testimony is stronger when it's backed up by documentation, in my opinion. Sometimes in cases, though, you have nothing but testimony. You have two parties who have conflicting testimony. So then it's going to boil down to who is the more credible person? Credibility means believability. So if you have documentation, though, which backs up your testimony, then that could make you the more credible parent. In the case of mental health, for example, doctors' records, mental health records, hospitalization records, rehab records, all of those things are very helpful to the judge. Um, and you just don't know what kind of nuggets you might glean from the other party's medical records. And there's ways of getting these medical records through the process of discovery. 
I have parents that I represent and sometimes they tell me I have no documentation. You know, I've been a victim of domestic violence. I never made a report to the police. I never went to a hospital and they're panicking because they have no documentation. And for anybody who's listening to this and is in that situation, I wanna say, don't panic because your testimony is evidence. And it's gonna boil down to that point to credibility, which means can the judge believe you? And you should be working on your testimony. If however, documentation is available, you absolutely should get that if you can. There's tools in the law called discovery tools that allow you to obtain this information. The other side should be disclosing it to you when children are involved because mental health is always at issue. Physical health is always at issue when there are kids involved. I also want to say if you're a parent who has struggled or is struggling with mental health issues or physical issues, don't be afraid. It's okay. You're not alone. It doesn't mean you're going to lose custody. The most important thing is to be honest and upfront with the court and also to let the court know that you're taking care of your business, that you're getting the help you need. You're following your doctor's recommendations. You're showing up for appointments. You're taking your meds if you have any prescribed. Don't be afraid. And if you're the parent who is suffering from a mental health condition or has had one in the past, even if you had something like a suicide attempt, be upfront because if you're not and the judge finds out, then you lose credibility. And that's when you're sunk, if you lose credibility. But if you're honest and upfront and you own it and you say, hey, I've learned from this and this is how I'm a better person because of it, that will help you. So medical records are great. Police reports are great. Text messages, email messages are very good. You know, and I will say that Judges don't like reading thousands of pages of email or text messages. <laughs> Attorneys don't for that matter either. And if you have an attorney, they're probably going to charge you a lot of money to read through all of them. So um, if there are messages that are relevant, like get them organized for your attorney and or the judge to make them easier to comb through. But, you know, I've used them and they've helped me in more than one case. You know, after about the hundredth page, they all start looking the same to the judge. I'll just say that. Voice recordings, great documentation. I had a case once many years ago where a mom left a horrible message on the father's voice machine, just horrible, calling him names, berating him. And that turned the judge and she lost custody because of that voicemail. So just start thinking about the things that would prove the best interest factor that you want to present to the court. Be creative. Don't let yourself be limited and throw it out there if it's relevant and if it tends to disprove or prove something that's in dispute. You had mentioned this woman who left the voicemail and, you know, she lost custody of her, her children. How often does that happen where, where parents are losing custody? Because from what I've learned, it has to be pretty egregious for them to lose custody of their children. It has to be pretty massive. Agreed. A hundred percent. And, you know, so I will say about that case, it was probably more than 10 years ago that I had that case. And since that case happened, I think the law has progressed. It has evolved. Judges' attitudes are, you know, more progressive. I know that my husband is not the father that my father was. Um, and my dad was a great father, but my husband's way more involved mm -hmm. and would fight for more involvement, you know, um, if we ever went through anything. So attitudes 
have changed. And so there's more of a presumption that barring any major issues, the parents should have joint decision-making or joint custody in close to equal time. And it really is an uphill battle to prove to the court that it should be otherwise. And you do have to show some pretty big things. You have to show, you know, significant domestic violence or serious drug issues, you know, that have a long history that have never been resolved. So you're absolutely right. Thank you for bringing that up. It's hard for a parent to lose custody. Why does the best interest of the child exist in family court? Well, these are the standards and, you know, essentially that's what the law is. The law is a set of rules and standards. So things can be consistent as much as possible. Yeah. As much as possible. But having said that, there's not a lot of consistency in family law court because, you know, you have different judges with different backgrounds and different attitudes and different motivations. You don't know how a judge is going to wake up one day, you know, we all wake up on the wrong side of the bed and are just terrible in terrible moods and might take it out on somebody. You know, so there's so many factors that go into a decision, but the rules are there to set the standard and whatever a judge's decision is, they should be able to support that decision based on their application of the facts of the case to those standards. So everybody has to go by the same standard. It's not willy nilly. And, you know, people aren't guessing. That's why those factors are important. That's why they're there. And so for listeners who are hearing this, and they may potentially be facing a child custody issue, how do you suggest that they use the best interest factors? Like, is it a good idea to learn them as early as possible, and then kind of move from there? Yes, you should review them. If you're going through a case, daily. And you should really be involved in your case, whether you have an attorney or not. It's hard because you have your life and you have this case, you know, and some people just want to check out, but you have to, you're your own best advocate. And the best way to start is by getting really familiar with those factors, you know, and and a good way is to download that best interest checklist. You know, that's one easy way. Look at those factors and circle the ones that you think apply to your case. And, you know, on that checklist, and I'm not just trying to push the checklist. If somebody wants to go research the laws in their state, you can do that too. But one thing about the checklist is under each factor, I do have questions that I asked that are designed to be prompts to get somebody thinking about that particular factor. And the questions can also be asked in court. They're designed to go to that factor to present evidence around that factor. So not all factors are going to apply to everybody. Pick the ones that apply to you. Start brainstorming the evidence that's going to support each factor. Yeah, like we already mentioned, sometimes it can take a while to get the documentation or the support behind the factor. And so if you know what they are, right, then you can be working on that. And But if you don't know what they are until, let's say, your case is going to court, then yeah. it's it just be advantageous to learn them sooner than later. So 100%, you know, and Bianca, like at least, you know, a couple times a year, I get an email message from somebody who says, oh my gosh, I have trial tomorrow. Or I have trial next week. And I just like learned about the best interest factors. Oh my gosh, you know, I'm freaking out. Mm -hmm. Like that's the whole case when it comes to custody and parenting time. Those are the best interest factors. And so everything's focused on those factors, everything. And you must present 
evidence relevant to those factors to the judge. That's what the judge wants to hear. Do you have any other advice for listeners that are dealing um, with child custody and possibly implementing the best factors in their case as far as, um, you know, representing themselves, like you had mentioned earlier that you have a passion for helping those uh, representing themselves. Um, But any advice for them as far as even just a few hours with legal counsel or getting legal counsel or, or anything to in to that nature? Yes. So there's two aspects to every case, uh, any family law case or child custody case. And so one aspect is the law as it relates to the best interests of the children. Anybody going through a family law custody case needs to know those factors. If you're representing yourself or not, or if you have an attorney, then you also need to be familiar with another area of the law, which is the procedural law, okay? And so when I say procedural law, what I'm talking about are deadlines, the requirement that you have to respond to motions, complying with the judge's orders for submitting pretrial statements and exhibits on time, rules when it comes to being in the courtroom. So these are things you have to know as well. Being in the courtroom is really scary for a lot of people. It takes practice but you can get prepared. You know, I still get a little ner- a little bit of nerves before going into court and I've been doing it a long time, but people should start understanding the legal process early on. So when they do get in front of a judge, they know what's going to happen. There's still going to be the nerves, but at least they have an expectation. They know, you know, what order they're going to be required to question witnesses. They know when they're going to be cross-examined and just having that bit of knowledge provides relief and less overwhelmed. Yeah. So is command the courtroom a good place to learn that information? Or do you have any other resources that you could throw out? Thank you for asking. So I try to address both things. Um, Bianca, as part of command the courtroom, sometimes I talk about best interests of uh, the children. Sometimes I talk about trial procedure. On the YouTube channel, there's a couple hundred videos of a mixture of those things. On the Command the Courtroom website at commandthecourtroom.com, I do have courses, like I have a crash course. It's a trial prep boot camp, and it's you know a two-hour boot camp about, okay, you're going into trial, this is what you can expect. And obviously, at the end, you know, you're not going to be an attorney, but you're going to have an expectation, you're going to have more knowledge, and that gives you power. You'll go into court more prepared than most people, for sure. Oh, absolutely. That's wonderful. You've got that crash course. And I'm sure when when it comes to the perception that the judge has for you, that can go a long way when you've got your ducks in a row. Judges really respect when people try. And even if they aren't perfect, a judge is going to think, hmm, this person is trying. They've done their research. They've done their homework. You know, besides that, you know, judges are required to hold a person who's representing him or herself to the standard of an attorney, which is scary. But I think judges are a little bit forgiving when they see that somebody has a respect for the process and the system in the courtroom. So yes, it will give you a leg up to get informed. Any other thoughts that you have about this topic or resources that you could throw out? Um, Well, you know, a couple of things, you know, I just want people to know that nobody's perfect. Nobody is perfectly behaved all the time. We're all human. Sometimes we lose it. Sometimes there's a text message that you've sent mixed in there that's not so great for you. And that happens, you know, but you have to kind of own up to it. So if you've done something in the past, regardless of how big or small, you know, confront it head on. Don't just try to sweep it under the rug because I guarantee the other side will bring it up. But don't don't be terrified. People can do this. People do it all the time on their own without attorneys. 
So you're going to be afraid, but you can do it and just do it anyway and take little bites out of it. You know, every day, do some studying, do some research, work on your case. And those little bite-sized pieces cumulatively will add up to a lot of confidence. So I just, you know, I want people to know you can do this. If you don't have the money for an attorney, you can do it. I know you can. I see people do it every day. And so, but you're still representing people too. Yes. And so you run a full practice in, in Phoenix. I do. I do have a full practice in Phoenix and that's how I support my family. That's what consumes most of my time. You know, I'd like to get to the point someday where command the courtrooms, all of it. We got like 30 calls into the office yesterday and most people can't afford to have an attorney. And that's just the reality for the people who can afford an attorney and they want me to help them. I will help them. You know, if it's a good match and that's another thing, you know, that's a whole other topic. Like I said, I could talk for hours, you know, feeling a, a synergy and a connection with your attorney. But for those people who can't afford attorneys, like when I became an attorney, like I wanted to fight for justice and part of empowering people who can't afford or don't want attorneys is helping them get a just result. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that you are very passionate about it. And I thank you so much for taking time out of your day, your busy schedule to talk to us today about the best interests of the child factors. How can people get in touch with you? And, and are you taking clients virtually? I can only take clients in Arizona, first of all, sadly. I'm only licensed in Arizona, but anybody in the nation can take, I have a, several different courses on commandthecourtroom.com and they're based on the best interests of the children, which apply all over the United States and also based on trial principles that apply in any family law trial. I mean, there, there's probably going to be little differences between states or in local courts, but that's what I can offer people who don't live in Arizona. And people can reach me by calling the office. Also at my firm website, which is hernandezfirm.com. And there's a little form submission that people can fill out there as well. Okay, great. Yeah. And everything that Wendy mentioned will be in the show notes. So people can click on those if they'd like to reach out to Wendy or get more information about those courses. It's been an honor to speak with you today, Wendy. Thank you so much for being with me. Thank you, Bianca. I, I feel honored that you reached out to me and asked me and bravo to you for the work that you're doing because you're changing the world. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us this week on the Peaceful Co-Parenting Podcast. I hope the time was well spent and you got a lot out of the episode. If so, please rate and review the podcast. I would really appreciate it. If you're interested in sending me a feedback message, asking a question, suggesting a podcast topic or guest, or downloading Peaceful Co-Parenting Messenger as a tool for better communication with your co-parent, go to PeacefulParentApp.com or see the links in the show notes. Have a great week, and as always, stay peaceful. This episode of Peaceful Co-Parent was brought to you by the Equal Shared Parenting Program. Do you find that you're ever in need of someone to talk to, like a counselor or a therapist? How about legal advice? If you've looked into it, you know these services can add up financially. That's why the Equal Shared Parenting Program exists, to help parents be their healthiest, holistic selves. It's a membership program that offers discounted and free services like behavioral health, free tax prep and advice, and access to financial education and credit counseling all for the low price of $29.99 a month. Learn more about the Equal Shared Parenting Program by going to 
equalsharedparentingbenefits.org forward slash PCPM. The PCPM stands for Peaceful Co-Parenting Messenger. That's equalsharedparentingbenefits.org forward slash PCPM.